Good morning. Well, if that doesn't get you ready, I reckon your wood's a bit wet. But um, I was thinking about this this morning. If you're to rewind 2,000 years and a couple of days, right, the cross is happening. And you know, while the cross is happening, there's a group of soldiers. And you know what they're doing? They're playing dice. Right? They're, they're shooting craps for the, for the garments of Jesus. So they know something important's happening. This must be a big deal. I want a memento from it. But they are completely missing what is happening above them. They're completely missing the realities and the importance and the eternal stuff that's happening right above them. Well, you're sitting here this morning and maybe you're like, oh, something important. My wife made me come. Something important, you know, it's kind of a cultural thing. Something's important. You know, I got to go these two times a year to this thing called church. But maybe you're like those soldiers and you're rolling dice while eternal things have happened. While world-shaping and eternity-shaping things are happening. And I would just plead with you, don't play games with this stuff. If you want to play dice, there is much better ways to spend your two hours than sitting here with us. I don't say that because I think it's true. I say that because I want to plead with you. Do not play games with Jesus Christ and kind of punch the clock and show up and see him every once in a while and think, okay, I've done my religious thing. I I checked the important box. While you play with Jesus like he's not real and like he's not risen and like this stuff isn't real and like eternity isn't real, don't play games. It's real. Go all in. Or it's not real. Go home and mow the grass. Surely you got some chores to take care of. I know I got some things to do. This stuff is real. It's important. It's eternal. Let's don't play games. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20. And today's like the Christian Super Bowl, right? It's, it's the big deal. Like, hadn't watched a football game all year, but man, I got to show up for this one. It's a big deal. And it is what separates Christianity from all of the other religions. All the other religions have some great figure. All the other religions have some esteemed teacher. And all of the other religions have a grave they can point to where that person lives. And we have a tomb that we can point to that nobody's there anymore. And it's empty. You see, religion is a long and tragic story of how man can work his way to God. And sometimes it's through these outlandish rituals, and sometimes it's through bizarre offerings and behavior. Sometimes it's through good moral living. But it's a tragic history of man trying to work his way back to God or back to some God that they have invented. Christianity is the story of a God who is working his way back to people. A God who became one of his people, who became flesh and dwelt among his people in the real world who lived the sinless life they could not live, who died the death that they deserved, but didn't stay dead because the eternal God of life couldn't stay dead. He rose again from the the grave. He's ascended into heaven. He's returning one day. And there's a world of difference between the two ways. Am I going to work my way to God, or do I believe God's done all the work to come to me? 
And that's Christianity. And it all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so last week we did Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Now, not from human perspective, it seemed like quite a disaster, but from God's perspective. From God's perspective, it was a triumphal entry. From God's perspective, it wasn't going to be peace on earth. It was going to be peace in heaven, though, because the plan of redemption is accomplished. It was going to be peace on those with whom he is pleased because he set his grace upon them. It's going to be peace for them. But the city of peace that was meant to enjoy the prince of peace rejected that prince and destruction came in its place. And there wasn't a stone left on top of each other when the thing was done. Because the coming one and the coming king entered and the coming king was rejected. But the coming king was vindicated. Because today, because of the resurrection. And so a whirlwind of things have happened between last Sunday and this one in the scheme of, of, of um, that first Easter Tons of things have happened, and so the priest went and he taught in his temple over and over again throughout that week. The priest went away to a garden and just asked a few people, I've given you my life, could you give me an hour of prayer because I'm sorrowful to death? And while they slept it off, he bled from his forehead because of the agony and the strain of what was before him. A lot of things happened between Sundays. And then he comes out of the garden, and one that sat at his table and sat under his ministry kisses him on the cheek to betray him into the hands of those who would kill him. A lot of things happened in between. And he was brought to a false trial with false witnesses, and he was, he was condemned, and he was beaten, and he was mocked, and he experienced the horrors of the cross. But then after all the hope is gone, and after all the death is done, we come to Sunday, and everything changes. There's an empty tomb, and there's a, a resurrection, and so that's what we're dealing with today. Today, Paul is talking to a group in the church, and I believe it's a group of kind of students who are misguided, as opposed to opponents who are denying central things. And so there's this group who has developed an idea, and they're beginning to teach it. You know, there's not really a resurrection. Now, they probably aren't dealing with Jesus' resurrection. They're probably dealing with a general resurrection of humanity. There's no resurrection for people. Jesus may be an exception. Jesus may have had a special thing, but he's, he's dealing with a group of people who have this misguided notion, no, no resurrection. And Paul is going to tie this to, if there's no resurrection of people, there's no resurrection of Jesus. And if there's no resurrection of Jesus, everything unravels. And so Paul is really answering the question of, what would it be like if there were no Easter? What would it be like if there were no resurrection at all? Because if there's no resurrection of people, there's no resurrection of Jesus. If there's no resurrection of Jesus, then the message we proclaim is worthless. The faith we hold to is empty, and the eternity we claim for ourselves does not exist. If the resurrection isn't true. But the resurrection is true. And our message is filled with power. But the resurrection is true. Your faith is rock solid in a historical event that is an event that God accomplished. Your hope is secure and eternal. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. 
We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let's pray. Father, we pray as those who get to look back at an empty tomb, that get look, to look back at a historic cross, to, get look, to look back at an atonement that has been accomplished, and a Jesus that died, and a Jesus that rose again, and up to a Jesus who is seated at your right hand. Thank you. Thank you that you have sent your son, and thank you that he is risen, and thank you that you have pursued us when we could not pursue you. I pray, Father, that it wouldn't just be a truth that's important to us while we play games. I pray it would be a truth that captivates us, and we go all in with it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if the resurrection happened, never happened, If the resurrection never happened, then what? Well, first, then we proclaim an empty and deceptive message. But instead, the message of the cross is true and powerful. If the resurrection never happened, we proclaim an empty and deceptive message, but the message of the cross is true and it's powerful. So, parents, I'm going to give you just this spoiler alert that if you want to cover your kids' ears, you can do that because we're going to talk about bunnies and we're going to talk about fairies and What's really going on there? So if you need to, you know, be, be warned. So you think about it, right? It's Easter. I grew up and I did Easter egg hunts. I grew up and we did Easter baskets. I grew up and, you know, we did Easter bunnies, all the stuff, right? And it's fun. You look back on it and it's like there's some great memories at Grandma's house hunting for the egg with five bucks in it, which if you're a kid, five bucks is that's a lot of money, right? Not so much now, but it was then. And so there's all these fun things you look back on. That was great. Or, you know, you lose a tooth and it comes out and under the pillow. And guess who shows up? Well, you do because you put the money there. Now, the tooth fairy, right? And so we have Easter bunnies. And it's a little crazy to think, Easter bunnies. Now, something kind of big happened today and it really didn't have much to do with bunnies. That's right. It's kind of an important holiday and bunnies aren't really a part of it. But it's also kind of crazy when you think about Easter bunnies and eggs, but bunnies don't lay eggs. It's like this whole thing doesn't make sense at all. Like Cadbury came up with a great scheme to get us into this deal. And so we're adults, and we look back, and it's kind of funny, and we look back, and it's kind of nostalgic, and we look back, and there's some great memories there. But when we think about the Easter bunny, there's nothing there. When we think about the tooth fairy, there's nothing there. If the resurrection never happened, then all the stuff we talk about, it may be fun. It may have some good memories. There may be some nostalgia to it. But all that we're doing, there's no more there 
than the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy or anything else. But there is a resurrection. And this is true. And there is something there. And that something is powerful and that something is eternal. Let's look at it in the text. And so in verse 12, we're introduced to the topic. Now again, this seems like some misguided students who have, have, uh, of Paul that have, have gone off in a direction. They've kind of said, you know, there is no resurrection. You can tell by the way it shakes out that it, they're not necessarily denying the resurrection of Jesus. They're denying resurrection in general. And so they just went off and taught, yeah, there's good, and yeah, there's this life, and yeah, there's this Jesus thing. But then you, you die, and then it's done. There, there's no resurrection coming. And that is exactly what Paul confronts in them, not as somebody that he's like attacking them to say, you know, you guys are in error, you heretics, but he's teaching them and he uses logic and implications to kind of unwrap for them. Let me tell you what you, you know, you think you're making a statement that's not that big a deal and you think you've got this, this novel teaching and it's not that big a deal, but let me show you how totally earth-shaping it is if what you say is true. And then in verse 13 he says, uh, he says it twice, verse 13 and verse 16, he says, if there's no resurrection, then what is also true is there's no resurrection of Jesus Christ either. So if you deny the resurrection, you've got to throw out Jesus' resurrection with it, and if you throw out Jesus' resurrection, the rest of the passage is, what does that mean? What does it mean if there's no resurrection? What, if it, what does it mean if there's no Easter? And, and, and then he goes on to introduce, here's exactly what that means. If there's no resurrection of the dead, there's no resurrection of Christ. If there's no resurrection of Christ, then our preaching is in vain, implication number one. The message that we hold dear is empty. And he's going to unpack that for the first section. And then when you get to verse 16, he's going to make that statement again. No resurrection, no resurrection of Jesus. And he's going to unpack that other point. Your faith is also empty. And so here he goes, he says... There's no resurrection, there's no resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus has not been raised, then our preaching, our preaching is in vain. The word in vain is the word for empty. And so it's to have a a vase with nothing in it. To have a, a vessel of some sort that's meant to be filled with something and there's nothing in it. And so our, our preaching is vain. It's this really pretty box, and it's a strong box, and it's a decorated box, and it's an ornate, ornate box. All of this preaching stuff we do, it's this amazing box, and some of you really like to listen to it. Some of you like to sleep through it, but some of you like to listen to it. And we've got this really good box. But you open the box up, and there's nothing inside of it. If there's no resurrection, then the proclamation, then the message that we're talking about, the sharing that's happened, it's an amazing box that's an empty box. Our preaching is in vain. Our proclamation is in vain. And I want you to think of it in terms of ripples. So he's pointing back to the apostles and to the eyewitnesses. So these are people that saw the resurrection and then told people they saw the resurrected Jesus. These are ones who've declared a testimony. They've declared they've seen something. And they they said it's real and it's important and we, we swear to you it's true. And the apostles who wrote the word of God who are the foundation, Jesus is the the cornerstone, who are the foundation of this new thing called the church. And what they said is what they wrote down and what they wrote down is what we have for our instruction and they declared this message. And so all the way back to them, They gave their lives to turn the world upside down for a beautiful, 
empty box. Then you go ripple out from there. And from them, there's Timothy and Titus and countless other people that were discipled by the apostles, sent out into the world to turn the world upside down with the message of a resurrected Messiah. And they sent them out and they planted churches and they went all over the world. And this thing spread like crazy. Same message, same beautiful box, same nothing in it. And then you go out from there and there's people like me and there's people like your Sunday school teacher and there are countless of us all over the world and and we declare the same message. We declare the book that they gave us. We declare the gospel that they gave us. We play the resurrected Jesus that they gave us and we do it week in and week out. And maybe it's a pretty box, but it's empty. And I'm wasting my life and time and you're wasting yours listening to me because a fancy box with nothing in it is a worthless box. Last ripple. Hopefully you do this. You put your kids to bed and you pray for them. You sit at the dinner table and you should sit at the dinner table. And you read Bible stories to them. Or you sit with a friend and you have coffee and you talk about this message, this Jesus. And it's a pretty box. And they make good coffee down the street. But it's totally empty if there's no resurrection and it's worse than empty look at it as you keep going in the text it's worse we even are found to be misrepresenting we're even found to be perjuring ourselves because it's not just that it's a pretty box that's empty that would stink it's actually a sworn testimony that's the words that are being used in a court of law oaths have been made Sworn in testimony has been entered into the record that God raised Jesus from the dead. And we know it. And we've been found to be liars. Because we're swearing to something that just simply isn't true. If, if, if there is no resurrection. You're all a bunch of liars when you pray with your kids at night and read them Bible stories. I'm a liar week in and week out. The apostles who gave us a book of God, liars, if there's no resurrection. But there is a resurrection, which means the message is a real message. The message is a true message. The book that they gave us is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit. The word of God is powerful to rebuke and to correct and to train you in righteous living so that you can be complete in the service of God, that there's a book that is better than gold and sweeter than honey, that there's a book that looks all the way into the depths of who you are and transforms it, doesn't just expose it and leave you condemned, exposes it and then shows its remedy and its forgiveness and its redemption. There is a book of God, and there's a book of his creation, and there's a book of his redemption, and it's ours, and it's real, and it's true. And if it's real and it's true, it's also powerful because it declares an eternity-shaping message, a life-transforming message. If there's a resurrection, there's a true message. If there's a true message... It's a powerful message. So if there's no resurrection, it's empty and deceptive, but since there is, the message of the cross is true and powerful. Secondly, if there's no resurrection, or if the resurrection never happened, then our faith is empty and useless, but instead it is full and rooted in the true and living Christ. Our faith is empty and useless, or it's full and rooted in the true and living Christ. 
Now, I know you've had this happen to you. If you work in an office, it's probably happened there. If you live with these things called kids, I know it's happened there. And if you have college roommates, I know it's happened there. So we're going to call it Chinese food because they have cool boxes and little handles, right? And so you have Chinese food, and there's always leftovers. And you, 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 know, you stick them in the fridge, and, and you go to work the next day, or you go to class, and you're, you're thinking all day long, man, I cannot wait to get home and heat up my Chinese food. I can't wait to get home and heat that up and eat it. And so all day long, your, your thoughts kind of drift. Yep, I got leftovers tonight. Yep, I can't wait to get that snack when I get home. And you get home, and you see the pretty box, and it's got, you know, the Great Wall of China on it or something, and it's got the little handle, and it's folded together nicely. And you go in there and you open it up. And some demon-possessed soul <laughs> ate it, maybe left just enough, but ate it, and then put the box back in there. I'm starving, and I'm excited. And now, I'm grumbling, and I'm crushed, and I'm still hungry. If there's no resurrection... If there's no resurrection, there is nothing when we open the box to satisfy the hunger of our souls and to fulfill the desires of our heart. There's nothing there. There's nothing to our faith. There's no content there. And with all the anticipation that we open up this book with and all the anticipation, we have this faith that we hold on to. It leaves us more hungry, not less. It leaves us more starving, not more satisfied. If there's no resurrection, everything hinges on the resurrection. Is our faith a, a leftover box with no food in it? Is our faith overflowing and abounding with better than we could possibly imagine because we're so limited under the fall, we're so limited to grasp all the riches of what God has for us in Christ? Let's look at it as we jump in the text. So point one, right, your proclamation is in vain. Point two, your faith is in vain. Same word. Right? And then he goes and he unpacks it from 16 and, and following. And so your faith is a pretty box with nothing in it. Your faith is in vain. And then he makes, uh, in verse 16 and 17, he makes these three statements that are unpacking a vain faith, an empty faith, a, a box with nothing in it, faith. And so he, he goes from your faith is vain Two, your faith is futile. So not only is my faith empty because there's nothing inside to grab hold of, my faith is also futile. So kind of the image of a box that's empty and then the image of futile, meaning it's, there's no effect to it. it. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't work or accomplish anything. And so the kind of the way I thought of this image-wise was you got an iPhone that can do amazing things. I can access the entire world with this little thing. But if I pull the battery out, it becomes very futile. It can't do anything anymore. It has no purpose anymore. It, can't, it doesn't matter what it says it can do and what the box says it can do. It can't accomplish anything. There's no effect to it. And so our faith, if there's no resurrection, it doesn't matter what it claims it can do. If there's no resurrection, there's no effect. There's no power. There's, it, it can't do anything. And so our faith is in the content of the gospel. Your faith is futile. What is our faith? 
It's not me working myself up to believe something really strong. And if I believe something really strong, it doesn't really matter what I believe. It matters that I believe it strongly. No, no, our faith is in an objective reality. Our faith says there is a God. Our faith says this God created the world in seven days by speaking into nothing and making it something that that he made Adam and Eve and he put them in this garden and everything that they needed to thrive and everything they needed to be fulfilled and and, and blessed happened right there in that garden and all they have to do is live under God's good rule and God's good word, but they wouldn't and so they they rejected it. Our faith says that they, they ate the forbidden fruit, they left God and his word to go their own way, to get their own good apart from him And that they plunge the whole world into misery and the whole world into sin. And so the whole world is sinful and we're sinful by our nature and by our choice. And we believe that God didn't leave it with that, but he went after a people called Israel. And he did all of these amazing works in Israel. And he did astounding miracles right in front of their eyes, day in and day out, showing I'm real, showing I'm up to something, showing I've redeemed you, showing I'm still delivering you putting manna on the ground every single day so they wouldn't starve, letting uh, water come out of rocks so that they didn't die of thirst, every day showing his mighty works. But their hearts were still corrupted and their hearts were still bent, so it didn't matter the outside stuff that God did because the inside stuff was still broken, and so they continued to run from God. They continued to move away from God. They continued the cycle of faithfulness and betrayal to God. Our faith is in a God who didn't let that stand, but instead sent his son to the world to live a sinless life we couldn't live, to die our death for us, to be buried, our burial, but to rise again from the dead, to offer to fix the corruption of our being with his redemption, with his finished work, not how faithful we are in any given moment or how unfaithful we are in any given moment. Our faith is in a historical cross and a historical empty tomb. Our faith has content to it. But if there's no resurrection, it doesn't matter the substance. But if there is a resurrection... There's substance. We believe something that's real and something that happened in history and something that God accomplished. Our faith has a content that he died for us, he was buried, and he rose again. Our faith isn't some subjective thing that we have to work ourselves up to. And so your faith is vain, empty. Your faith is futile, no effect, or... Your faith latches hold of these truths and they are beyond your capacity to imagine how wonderful they are. It is beyond your capacity to imagine that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's beyond your capacity to imagine that in him, not the stuff of this world, but in him are the surpassing riches of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. It is beyond our human capacity to grasp the fullness of these things we say we believe. Our faith is overflowing. It's not empty because there's a resurrection. Our faith is living and active and powerful, not because we're really good at it, but because the God we've laid hold on by faith is really good at it. It's not empty, it's full. It's not ineffective and powerless. It's powerful. And so I want you to think on faith as you look at your own life on two levels. There is saving faith that is secured by Jesus, right? We are believers or unbelievers. We are saved by the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ or we aren't. 
Level one. Level two, our functional faith. What are we functionally believing? Who are we functionally believing at any given point in time? And do you know how you know what you're really believing at any point in time? You really believe what you really do. So what you do shows what you believe. How you live shows what you really believe about God. And so, I'm secured by Jesus. And if you're not, I want to invite you to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what this day is about. God coming for you because you can't come for him. But if you're a follower of Jesus, at any given moment, what are you trusting? What are you believing is going to satisfy what do, you, what do you believe is going to give life? What do you believe in that moment? Who are you putting your faith in? If there's no resurrection, your faith is empty. If there's a resurrection, then there's something real beneath all the stuff we believe. And it matters. Third step. We are still in our, dead in our sins, but we are alive and forgiven. If there was no resurrection, we are still dead in our sins. But instead, we are alive and we are forgiven. So if there's no resurrection, look what it says. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You know Ephesians 2 says it this way. We, are dead, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Right? Because here's the definition of life. Hopefully it will help you. It helps me. Death is to be separated from the God of life. Death is to be separated from the God of life. And so there are countless billions of people that you meet every single day. Some of those billions of people you meet every single day. And they're healthy. And some of them eat organic. And some of them work out. And they're really fit and they look really healthy. And do you know what's true about them? They're dead. They're dead because they're disconnected from the God of life. And so to have life means to have a connection to God. To be dead in your sins and trespasses means to be separated from God by your sins. Sin separates us from God. Separation from God equals death. And so I can be living and I can be healthy and I can be breathing with a great heartbeat and a really good mind and dead at the same time because I have no connection to God, the God who is life. And so when he says, no resurrection, you're still in your sins. No resurrection, you're dead. Because you don't have a connection to the God who is alive and the God who is life itself, the God who is defined as the living God. And so we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And that's the reality of those who are apart from Christ. And so what is it that forgiveness unlocks for us? It makes us alive, right? What is it forgiveness unlocks for us? Forgiveness is key for you being declared righteous. Meaning, you are declared to have a good and right relationship with God. You're declared that God has a favorable disposition to you. That's, forgiveness require, is required for righteousness. Righteousness is required for God to have a positive relationship with you and not a condemning relationship with you. Forgiveness for righteousness. Righteousness for God to have a positive posture towards you where he is for you and not against you. Where he is for you and not condemning you. Forgiveness, righteousness, righteousness is required if you're going to be declared the adopted son of God in which you are welcomed into his family. You've got to be forgiven for that. You've got to be righteous for that. 
And so everything hinges on the resurrection. No resurrection, no forgiveness. No forgiveness, no righteousness. No righteousness, no good relationship with God, no good relationship with God, no adoption. You don't belong. You don't belong to him at least. If there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection. But there is a resurrection. Resurrection. So the mountain of accumulated sin that you may still choose to walk around with, forgiven. The shame and the guilt that you think defines you or that used to define you, you're righteous. The status of I don't belong to God, how can I get back if there's a resurrection? What's true? Adopted, dearly loved, forever his. There is a resurrection, and since there is a resurrection, then you are forgiven of your sins, and all that forgiveness means is open to you, and it's what's true of you, and you aren't dead in your sins and trespasses anymore. It says you've been made alive together with Christ, and you've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places, and that's what's true of you. You're alive, you're righteous, you're forgiven, you're adopted into his family, you're his forever, and he has set your, his love upon you the way a father, a perfect father, sets his love on a child, and it can't ever be taken off again. If there's a resurrection, there is a resurrection. There is, and so think about the word forgiven. Just let it sink in. Forgiven. All the striving that builds up within you to think, i got to strive and then God will be happy with me. Forgiven. All the nagging sense of your soul that says you're not good enough and you're not doing enough. Forgiven. All the guilt that is clinging to you that is true and rightful, if there's no resurrection, that is, that is yours and you walk around with it forgiven all that sense of do I really belong do I fit in am I going to be welcomed and accepted forgiven there's a resurrection your sins are forgiven you the last step if there's no resurrection we have no eternal hope we only have this life but instead Christ has been raised as the first of many. No resurrection, we have no eternal hope and only this life, but Christ has been raised as the first of many. And so one of the things Paul says in this text is, if Jesus isn't raised and I only have hope in this life, I should be pitied more than everybody. And so the question I would ask you, the question I would ask myself is, what about your life and what about my life requires the resurrection, resurrection to make it make sense. What about your life and what about my life requires a resurrect, resurrection for it to make sense? You see, maybe it's like, oh, well, you know, I do the Sunday thing. Well, you know, that's just a little bit of time. Or what, what does it require, to, the resurrection, to make it make sense? Well, I stick a few bucks in the plate every now and again. Gotta have the resurrection to make sense of that. I need that money. Maybe you choose to, you know, be gracious and kind to people. That's awesome. Maybe you choose instead of a harsh word to give a gentle answer. That's awesome. What requires the resurrection? The resurrection. 
can't speak today. Well, it requires the resurrection to make it make sense. Do you love your enemies and bless those who persecute you? Or do you give as good as you get? There's no resurrection that our life should look really pitiful. Maybe you choose, I've been reading in 1 Corinthians now in my quiet time. Maybe you choose to be defrauded sometimes instead of getting back and getting yours. That requires Jesus to make it make sense. That's easier. I'll say Jesus. It requires Jesus to make that make sense, right? To bless those who persecute me. That requires Jesus. To go across the world and tell somebody that you may lose everything if you believe in the name of Jesus, but I want you to believe in the name of Jesus because you're going to lose everything for real if you don't, and they lose everything. It requires Jesus to make that make sense. If there is no resurrection, your life should look pitiful. It shouldn't look competitive with your neighbors. It shouldn't look like you got pretty close to them. It should be absolutely pitiful. And so what is it about our lives that's pitiful if there's no Jesus? Look at it as he closes out. The last implication, those who have fallen asleep have perished. So there's a couple options, no resurrection. A couple of options for us. Option one, and this is the best case scenario, annihilationism. We just disappear and we lose consciousness and drift off and it's like we fall asleep and nothing happens after that. Perished. But really, because we're still in our sins, it just said, there's no resurrection. Then we go to the bad place. We go to the place called hell and we perish eternally. That's what's true if there's no Jesus. That's what's true if Jesus didn't do everything he said he was going to do. We fall asleep. There's not eternal hope on the other side. There's only the end. And think about this. He says, if in this life we have hope in Christ only, if we only have hope here about Jesus, if you take Jesus out of that, how many of us are living like all our hope is here? My hope is I get a better job. I live with hope that I'm going to make more money. I live with hope that I'm going to have some more stuff. I live with hope that my health is going to stay good. I live with hope that my circumstances are all going to work out in the end. And my hope is all confined to this narrow world of what I see and what I experience. And all my hope is built up on it working out good here. And it works for us is the problem. Most of your life works just fine if your hope is right here. Because you probably have a decent job, or you're in school to get one. You probably have a decent place to live, and you probably have a decent car to drive that actually drives. You probably have the stuff you need. And we live so much of our life like this is all there is, and this is our hope. And Paul completely reverses that. Don't live like this is all there is, because if you live like this is all there is, then it's eternal pity. But if you live like Jesus is all that is, and Jesus is all that matters, then your life's going to look pitiful to everybody else. But there's an eternal hope. There's not just this life. There's a big, long eternity that this speck of a life barely scratches a dent in the time of it. And by the way, there's going to come times in your life, because every single human, we don't, ex- we don't escape the fall. There's going to be times in your life where you're crushed, where you're disappointed, where you're betrayed, where you face loss, where you face a grief that nothing on this side of heaven can ever make it right again. But if this life is all there is, then that betrayal, that injustice, that pain, that loss, that's all there is too. 
How are you going to get through it? Now, this is not a made-up story to medicate the pain of living in a fallen world. It's a real story that allows you to press on even through the loss of this world because the better eternal world is coming. We haven't perished. This life isn't our only hope. And so it doesn't look pitiful to run after Jesus and lose the world. It looks pitiful to run after the world and lose Jesus. Why? Because of verse 20. But Christ is raised from the dead, the firstfruits of many. The first fruits was a Jewish offering. That the, the first part of the harvest comes in. They have the celebration of the harvest that's here to celebrate the bigger harvest that's coming right behind it. And so when it says Jesus is the first fruits, resurrection is here, but there's a lot more resurrection coming behind it. Your resurrection and mine. That's what's true if there's a resurrection. That's the final word. And since Christ has been raised, we aren't dead in our sins. Since Christ has been raised, our message is true and powerful. Since Christ has been raised, our sins are forgiven. Since Christ has been raised, our eternal hope is still out there. Since Christ has been raised, I'm adopted into the family of God, loved and accepted by him. Since Christ has been raised, I'm headed to a glorious eternity that I can't possibly comprehend how amazing it's going to be. A couple practical things as we wrap up. First, I want to invite you to believe in the risen Christ. Don't you dare say, oh yeah, this is important, but lunch. I'm so glad that I made my wife happy until Christmas because I came with her. So glad I'll get that friend off my back that keeps inviting me. Don't miss. Don't miss why this matters. Don't miss the man on a cross hanging behind you for your sins. Don't miss the tomb he was placed in. Don't miss that the tomb is empty so that everything he said was true and everything he offered is true. And don't miss that the Holy Spirit is moving throughout this place, convicting and drawing and convicting of our sins and convicting of his righteousness and showing Jesus. Don't miss that. Turn from your sins. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Second, what tempts you to forget or to doubt? What tempts you to forget or doubt? Maybe it's things are going so awesome. It's okay for God to get to, you know, the resurrection stuff to be in the background somewhere. Maybe life hurts so much. You can't really think past that. And it's easy to forget there's a God that loves you when life seems like it's saying otherwise. Maybe it's just the frantic pace of everyday life. It's just easy to let that stuff drift, let that stuff go to the sidelines. There's too much things to accomplish. What is it that tempts you towards doubt? Or what is it that tempts you towards forgetfulness of God? And then the last one. How do these truths increase your hope and your perseverance? How do these truths increase your hope and increase your perseverance? The point is, if there's no resurrection, everything falls apart. But there is a resurrection. Resurrection, Everything's just the way he said it. How does that spur hope? How does that spur perseverance that you're loved, that you're forgiven, that there's an eternity ahead of you, that you're declared righteous, 
That your faith is actually full because what you put your faith in is real. If Christ is not raised, everything collapses. Don't waste your time here. I'm sure you got things to do. If there is a resurrection, then go all in with Jesus. Go all in with Jesus' people. Just don't stand between the two. All in or all out. It's true or it's not. It's real and it changes everything or it doesn't. Let's pray. So Father, in Jesus' name we bow. Thank you for a resurrection. Thank you for a life eternal. Thank you that you're coming again to judge the living and the dead. Thank you that you're coming again because you prepared a place for us. And you can't wait to give it to us. Thank you that everything we face in this life, hard, crushing, or joyful, It'll dissolve one day into something that is so worth it, something that's right and just the way it's supposed to be. Thank you that that's promised because the past resurrection guarantees our future one. God, we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, it's simple. Turn and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't let the opportunity pass. Don't let it slip by. Don't say, I'll handle that some other day. Believe now. Turn now. Look to Jesus now. There's a white sheet in your bulletin. If you want to let us know about that or talk to us about it, you can come up and we can pray together. Maybe you sit here, though, and hope seems a little strained right now. Faith seems to have stretched, and it may not be holding up in your life right now. This stuff is true. Why don't you just come pray to the Father who is pursuing you, who secured you. You can come do that. Or maybe you have on your heart burning a face and a name that desperately needs these truths. And it breaks your heart they don't have it. It breaks your heart they don't believe it. It breaks your heart they're not his. Maybe you want to come and pray for that person by name before the Father, putting them there again and again. Let's stand together and sing. You respond how the Lord is leading you.